yeah, all I think all of our private picks are my, which ones the few that we've gotten are like my daily drinkers. Yeah. I'm with you. I don't ever drink the rare stuff by myself and nobody ever comes over. So, <laughs> so it just sits there. <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome back. This is episode 210 of Bourbon Pursuit. I'm one of your hosts, Kenny, and we don't really have a whole lot of bourbon news to talk about. In fact, we have none, but we have some sort of fun little tidbits information, plus some things that we've been working on and what we've been doing. So let me tell you about them. So I had some information sent to me a few weeks ago by Chris Middleton over at Whiskey Academy, and he sent this after he listened to episode 207 with Jimmy Russell and I sat down with him. Now, you know, it's not often when you can stump Jimmy Russell. And this was one thing where we had kind of talked about that's really kind of a, a whiskey mystery. So let's kind of dive into it. We talked about the name Ezra on the podcast, and we did that for a bit, and somehow we stumbled on the topic of Ezra Brooks. Now, from my knowledge, I remember this being a fictitious name and brand, but we got on the topic and it kind of just spiraled out from there. However, here's some factual information on Ezra Brooks that came from Chris Middleton. So Ezra Brooks, it is a whiskey brand that is a copycat brand of Jack Daniels Black Label Tennessee Whiskey. It was created by Frank Silverman of the Frank Silverman and Company in Chicago in 1957, where he sourced Kentucky bourbon under the Ezra Brooks Distilling Company. It is an NDP filed on July 30th, 1958 with Herbert Silverman as the chairman. Now this was all also under the Hoffman Distilling Company in Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. There was no Ezra Brooks, no distiller, owner, investor, celebrity, or identity thief from a whiskey cemetery. He's a trademark phantom. S.O. Hackley built the Hoffman Distillery on the Salt River in 1880, joined by Ike Hoffman. After Prohibition, it was rebuilt with the brothers Robert and Ezra Rippey, who were brought in to run it, and those were the sons of Thomas Rippey, hence the connection to the Wild Turkey Distillery. Jimmy Russell was probably referencing the Ezra name from here, and in all likelihood, it was not where the Ezra Brooks name came from. Frank Silverman unashamedly copied everything from Jack Daniels, starting with the square bottle to a similar black and white label graphic, the filigree, even an image of an old distillery illustration, which Jack Daniels had on the back of the label. Even the trademark name Ezra Brooks with similar signification and personalization. Silverman also attempted to replicate Jack Daniels' unique use of charcoal filtration. As an aside, Ezra Brooks was America's second charcoal rectified bourbon whiskey since post-prohibition. But the processes were very crude and simplistic. It's more of a gesture circulating some charcoal in the whiskey barrel for 24 hours. George Dickel, the other charcoal whiskey, launched in 1964. Silverman also plagiarized Jack Daniels on label claims and copied some of the Jack Daniels print advertising messages back then. Jack Daniels went on allocation from 1956 to the early 1960s when the consumer demand exceeded production under the maturation. So that's a good little whiskey tidbit for you. So make sure you uh, try to write that one down. Now you know the kind of the real history behind Ezra Brooks. 
So I want to give a shout out to our friends over at Forecastle Festival for hosting us this past weekend. We had a great time hitting up the Bourbon Lodge that was sponsored by Justin's House of Bourbon and the Bourbon Review to get some dusty pours as well as some air conditioning before heading back out into the crowd to jam with bands like Judah the Lion, The Killers, and Nelly, who put on actually a real good show to bring back some of those early 2000 memories for lots of us. You can catch our Forecastle updates on our Instagram and Facebook pages. Did you catch that thing we released on Tuesday this past week? Well, you can look forward to hearing those every week from now on. We're excited to be launching Whiskey Quickie to give you a fun update in the middle of the week. The normal podcast will remain unchanged and hope you look forward to hearing more of them. If you want to catch the video versions, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube page and you can see that sweet intro that we've cooked up. We've got no shortage of whiskey to review, and we can get through quite a bit with only 60 second reviews, but if there's something that you were dying to hear, send us an email, team at bourbonpursuit.com. We talk about private barrel selections being the new unicorns on this show all the time, but that begs the question, are we seeing so many private picks that the market is just becoming oversaturated? It seems like every week there's a new barrel that's going up for sale in our city. There's FOMO about some sweet sticker attached to a bottle that we want to get our hands on, or the secondary market has some crazy valuation on just another regular single barrel selection. We examine all the components that go into getting single barrels, such as the amount of influence from a distributor rep, the amount of available barrels that are even at these distilleries, and if you would even buy from a big chain versus a small independent store. Will there be enough bourbon to go around and hopefully not overbloat the market? Well, we'll find out. All right, well, let's get on with the show. Here's Fred Minnick with Above the Char. I'm Fred Minnick, and this is Above the Char. As I walk into this beautiful store, surrounded by port and scotch bottles, I went up to the owner in Lisbon, Portugal, and I asked him a question. Sir, where's your bourbon? He said, well, there's no demand for bourbon here. Nobody wants it. I love bourbon, he says, but nobody really wants to buy bourbon in Portugal. A few days later, I walked into a lovely bar. There were plenty of ports and scotches and cognacs, and the bar owner boasted, is like, yeah, we have the largest bourbon selection in all of Porto. I'm like, wow, fantastic. What do you got? We've got bullet bourbon, he said. I was, that's fantastic. And then he had Four Roses and he had a, a couple of vintage bourbons. And he was very excited to even have Jack Daniels and Jim Beam. I think he had a redemption here and, and uh, an orphan barrel there. And for sure, it was the largest selection of bourbon that I had seen in Portugal. And he made some nice cocktails. But at the end of the day, that was not nearly the amount of bourbon that I'm used to seeing and even a random Chili's in Boise, Idaho. Now, I guess I shouldn't expect to go to Portugal and see bourbon uh, littered on all the shelves. Not at all, I don't expect that one bit. But I was rather shocked to see that bourbon had not penetrated such a country filled with culinary love and wine and port. So perhaps I'm naive to think that bourbon should be served throughout Portugal. But let me tell you why when I walk into a foreign country, I look for bourbon. It's because I think of the distillers in the 1950s and 1960s who were trying desperately to get these countries to pull down their tariffs to accept bourbon overseas. 
See, in that time frame, bourbon was not a unique product of the United States. And so places like the United Kingdom, Argentina, Brazil, Spain, Portugal, they were all tariffing bourbon because there was nothing unique about it. And the world also wanted to give scotch an easy pass so it could help rebuild the United Kingdom. And so when I look at the shelves throughout the world, I think of the toil of the distillers in the 1950s, the 1960s, and those in the 1980s who were just kind of hanging on by a thread, just trying to bring bourbon back. And while I could easily say that, you know, bourbon in Portugal means less bourbon in Boise, Idaho, it's really not that simple. You see, the more bourbon grows, the more production we will have. And if we can get places like Portugal to carry, I don't know, three to five bourbons in every store or restaurant, that's a win for Kentucky. That's a win for bourbon. And at the end of the day, I think it's a win for you too, because that means they're going to work harder to make better bourbon. And that's this week's Above the Char. Hey, if you have an idea for Above the Char, hit me up on Twitter or Instagram. That's at Fred Minnick. Again, that's at Fred Minnick. Until next week, cheers. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or thebourbonconcierge.com and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. And they're off for another Gift 270 2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at Give270.org. Charitable Gaming License ORG 0002703. Welcome back to another episode of Bourbon Pursuit. Kenny and Ryan here tonight talking about a particular subject that means a lot to all of the, the bourbon crazies, the bourbon nuts out there, because this is one topic that Ryan and I, I think, I mean, gosh, we're we're hundreds of episodes into this now, and we start rolling back the uh, the the clock and the dials, and we go back in time. And I remember when Ryan was all like, well, why would you chase unicorns when store picks are the or the real thing that you want, you know, this is, this is a privately selected barrel. It only has a finite amount of bottles in it. And now it seems that the game is even getting ruined for store picks. Isn't that all right, Ryan? 
Yeah, now you got to uh, start your own private label if you want anything <laughs> rare. So, because, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, I guess that was probably what, two or three years ago I said that. I was just burnt out by the whole camping and lotteries and all these, you know, limited releases. And then the store picks was like my, you know, I was like, man, those are where the, just like you said, but now it's gotten to the point where, like you said, every, stores doing one every group's doing one they got a sticker on them they got this that that and then it's like all right what's you know what's rare about these anymore but i mean they are still rare because you are selecting your own barrel but uh you know same time i think they've kind of lost their luster a little bit but i don't know they're still unique yeah i think they're great and i think i think it's getting harder absolutely and i think the um the good thing is at least with this certain topic is there's there's a lot of ways that you can take this you know we've had uh, we've had, you know, as I mentioned, Ryan talked about this a lot. We had uh, Matt Raywalt, uh, Aiden English, the WWE wrestler, talk about it. Uh, we had we had Brett from Bourbon and Banter on here where we talked about sort of, um, you know, who can you trust when somebody's actually picking out a single barrel? Uh, we've also had Jamie Ferris on the show before where he's had over 70 single barrels at one time in a store. So these single barrels, you know, they're not nothing new. However, the craze is starting to really rise in popularity amongst, um, you know, everywhere to the point where people are are quickly selling out a, a single barrel pick that their total wine just got somewhere in Houston because somebody posts it and they're like, oh, can I go get that? Let's go run and go get it real quick. So it, yeah. the craze, the craze is starting to reach uh, and then, <clears throat> capacity. Yeah. And the, the crazy thing is not to keep going on a banter on our our banter, but <laughs> uh, the, 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 the people that have been doing these are, you know, for so long and that started doing these to bring interest in these single barrels are getting squeezed out. And uh, that's kind of the, the crazy thing about it. It's because there's such demand, the groups that, you know, really bought into this and kind of made distilleries famous for it uh, because they're just a group. They're not really had the buying power of big liquor stores. So we can get into this a little more, but it's just the, uh, it's an interesting environment. It's still a unique and very cool environment, but there's a lot more at play now. And so you kind of got to weave in and out how you can in it. All right. So we've talked enough. So let's introduce our guest <laughs> yeah, tonight. Sorry, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> so our guest is Michael Gallier. Michael is a bourbon enthusiast and brought this topic to us as a way to kind of spark a conversation of what's the market going to be like now and what's it going to be like even in the future. So, Michael, welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. So before we start diving down to the topic, you know, I, we always have to get your bourbon story, kind of where did you, you come from? How did you grow up in this, uh, this, this brown water wasteland or whatever it is nowadays? Well, when I was growing up, I, uh, my parents didn't really drink at all. So I didn't really start getting into it and probably until like five years ago. And, uh, and I've been living up here near DC for about eight years now and being right across the line, the, uh, wild west of DC, it's a, I have a <clears throat> couple of liquor stores I actually like to frequent because it's a lot easier to get stuff. And that actually helped me uh, broaden my horizons as far as like the range of, you know, flavors and tastings that you can get from it. I mean, I'm not an expert in any means when it comes to figuring out like whether this tastes like Mars the pan or what, you know. We, we just play one on the podcast. Yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. We, we ride on Fred's coattails on that. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I built up a, a collection myself that's just, been a nice hobby that i've enjoyed so what's your uh your collection up to at this point i probably got around 150 bottles which is probably like nothing compared to what you guys got but 
Dang, that's about there with me. The problem is I drink all mine. So it's like <laughs> they they slowly keep diminishing. But Kenny, he's a hoarder. He's got a ton of them. That's not true because every time you come over, I crack one open and then you just leave. And so I'm, 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 I'm always stuck with all these bottles and only have like two pours poured out of them. Because you, you don't invite me back. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a reason why that happens too. For sure. So um, I, I guess, Michael, kind of give us a little bit of uh, an indication of like what got you like looking into buying, uh, you know, private selected barrels that have been done either by stores or by groups or anything like that versus, um, you know, either regular offerings or trying to chase after unicorns. Uh, I think it was when I started collecting deeper, it was more about availability, I guess, because like you get to a certain point, you can't, you're not going to find that many more new bottles. So it became more about the, uh, the different flavors in, in like a four roses, uh, you know, private select the different kinds of flavors you can get from, you know, different recipes they have, which I usually found through the, uh, single barrel program that, you know, liquor stores and guys like you have done. Mm-hmm. And so what's, what's sort of the landscape in DC as well? Because I know, I know we've got friends that own stores around there. Um, and I know the way that, as you had mentioned, the wild west of laws happened, but what's the, like the landscape of, of private picks. Cause I'll tell you about the landscape of, of private picks here in Kentucky after you're done. Um, as far it's just, I think the, the stores, um, if I'm understanding your question correctly, the stores just happen to do, uh, as many picks as they can. I mean, I don't, they, they don't usually get that many in. They probably do like four or five a year, especially the, my favorite store. Is that about what you're asking? Yeah. I mean, because the, the one thing that we, you know, we kind of see around here is that there is, um, there's an abundance, right? I mean, I think I think there is um, something to be said about having this everything in your backyard. A lot of these stores have had these relationships with the distilleries for a very long time. So when they want to go and do a private pick, it's like, yeah, sure, come on in. Like we've we've been doing business forever, and then now it's starting to get to the point. Well, okay, well, bourbon, the craze is starting to go up. So now we've got yeah. stores and. California and Oregon and Washington and Iowa and New York and everybody wants to do them now. And so there's, there is this, um, they're feeling this pressure. Yeah. Right? There's tension and yeah, pressure. And, and so, and with that pressure, I mean, we're going to start seeing some people potentially get butted out and stuff like that. And I know Ryan, you've, you've kind of seen it firsthand by, uh, you know, Guthrie that's been on the show before uh, with Toddy's down in Bardstown. So tell us a little bit about what that looks like. Yeah. So Guthrie, a good friend of mine, owns Toddy's. We talked about it before, but uh, he's been doing private picks for, gosh, I mean, it seems like at least seven to 10, maybe even 10 years uh, ever since they've been first having it. And so, yeah, he goes to apply for Russell's picks this year and Four Roses, and they're like, hey, uh, we don't have room for you <laughs> this year. And, and it's based because he's a small store, you know, he doesn't do a ton of volume. And so it, they're basically catering to uh, the bigger liquor stores that push the volume. And uh, so it's kind of like squeezing the little guys out that kind of, uh, you know, embrace them at first. And so it's kind of like, all right, well, that doesn't seem very fair or very right. And we've seen it with a good friend of ours, uh, read with 17 out B. I mean, they've been doing picks forever and Kempari just told them that they weren't going to be able to do a Russell's pick. And they, I mean, gosh, they've done, I mean, 
how many barrels did we pick that day with them? Six out of how many? I mean, we probably tasted 18, maybe. You could just tell Reed and Emerald had this relationship with Jimmy and Eddie, and it was like, you're just going to shit on this relationship that's like been there forever just because they're a, a group and they're not a big liquor store. And so there's just been so many groups and so many liquor stores now interested in it that like uh, the way that these bourbon companies are kind of determining who gets what is kind of alarming and shocking to me. And uh, I'm, I'm not too happy about it, but I mean, I understand it is what it is. And it's uh, like you said, a pressured squeeze market. So um, they do what they got to do, but uh, I think I'll, we'll, I'll, we'll remember that, you know, when about five to eight years and all this stuff's out again, and they're, you know, calling us back up. Yeah. Michael, I kind of want to get your take on that. Like what, what do you kind of see as the, the anti, I guess you could say happening of, of being able to say, well, we're going to push out all these people that took us to the dance and we're going to take care of the, the binnies and, you know, liquor barns in our backyard and doing me wrong. Like they, they get the cream of the crop. For some reason I've seen liquor barn, just regular like Buffalo trace from old, old Weller yeah. antique pictures that show up on Facebook. Holy God. I'm not, I'm not kidding. They have, you know, when we go, we do our Buffalo trace barrel pick. They have four barrels when they do it. They have uh, 12, 15, 18. It's insane, right? So yeah. they treat customers a little bit differently too. Do you agree that these distilleries should be taking care of their bigger accounts rather than everybody that kind of has been keeping them in the dance for a while? Well, as, as bad as it sounds, I mean, it's probably money talks, right? And it's almost like to the point where to get certain bottles like comp- like they've done in the past is these liquor stores have to push the cheaper stuff or the bottles they want to get off their hands in order to get the chance to get into these selections, what it almost seems like. And and so I, I guess another question that, that we kind of bring around that, you know, it, it does go by location too. Um, I'm reading a few things that are coming here in the chat. Uh, Bill Nall says that location matters. He was in Detroit and there's a liquor store that had a, a barrel bourbon private pick and it was quote, the only one in the state. However, here in Kentucky, you can go around to five or six stores and probably find one. Mm-hmm. Um, Matt said the same exact thing. He said in Iowa, uh, there was only one Four Roses single barrel private selection pick for the entire state. He never saw it. Uh, he only saw there's only one Weller 107 barrel for the whole entire state of Wisconsin this year. Wow. So there is there is this sort of demographic, I guess, bias. I don't know if maybe that's what it is. Like, what do you what do you all think? Do you think there is a demographic bias, or is it because there's a there's another underlying motive there. I guess it could, couldn't it be the uh, idea of population density areas? I mean, Iowa is not exactly uh, DC. Not saying DC is like this big city, but you know, DC even DC like a liquor store that I usually go to only gets like four bottles like a year, like four selections a year from different companies, and they're usually the big ones like Whistle Pig, Four Roses, and stuff like that. But I don't know, Ryan, what do you? Think? Yeah, I mean, I think where these distilleries are aiming, they're kind of probably starting to squeeze out the groups more so than stores um, because a group doesn't necessarily help them, uh, I guess, expand their brand or expand their reach. You know, we're us whiskey geeks. We're already in. We're already buying their product. And so I think uh, smaller stores and groups are going to get squeezed out first because like uh they, they just want to reach new customers and get into new markets and a group's just not going to offer that, especially one that's here in Kentucky. I mean, cause 
we're we're gonna we're gonna buy them if they're available and it's uh kind of you know limits their reach if they're just selling to us so i, I can understand that but at the same time we've are uh, the ones that are uh you know like i hate to hate, hate to keep saying bring you to the dance but we're the ones that brought you to the dance and so so hey come on give us some love <laughs> oh andy just commented in the chat he said well groups don't sell cases of fireball exactly and exactly Exactly. And so uh, there, there's still a ton here in Kentucky. I mean, like you said, you go to Liquor Barn or Total Wine. I mean, they got the everyday Buffalo Trace and like even Barrel. I mean, they're a plethora, but Weller 107, I mean, they fly off the shelves like crazy. I mean, it's uh, it's just a different landscape than it was two to three years ago. Do you think they have like deals with those? Like uh, when I was in, I was in Kentucky and I went to the Old Forester, their new area where they had their, you do, I guess you do your single barrel select there. And they had like the plaques on the wall for the people that have done picks and like total wines had like 20 stars <laughs> and each star was like 10 bottles. I mean, 10 barrels. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, it, it's amazing, right? I, I, I look at it from, from a, the business perspective and yes, it, it does make sense that you, you help the people that sell cases upon cases upon cases of, just old Forester 86 or a hundred or the new rye or whatever it is, right? You, you, it's great to be able to take care of those people. Um, the flip side of it is, is that when we start thinking about these big stores, the, the liquor barns, the binnies, um, uh, you know, talk about some, some massive change, the total wines. Now, when you go into one of these liquor stores and you know, we, we have them around here. Um, I'm sure that you've got a, uh, a Costco around you as well, even though I don't know how big the Costco private barrel program is, even though they sell a shit ton of liquor, but what is, what is your take? Like, would you, would you feel comfortable buying a private barrel pick because it is that total wine and you have no idea who did it or, or right. are you going to, are you going to pass on it? Michael, I kind of want to get your idea on that. That, that. Yeah. I have had that discussion in my own head a lot. Uh, as far as do they really care about the taste or are they just doing a private select because it's a private select and they know it's going to sell more. Um, I do like to tend to go to the, to the groups that, that like you guys and that I trust, like the, you know, we kind of had the same flavor palette, I guess you would say. And uh, I, I tend to stick to the, the smaller ones and stay away from the larger ones. Yeah. We do have Costco's here and the DC whiskey Reddit is crazy about uh, always posting like an update of what they have gotten each day. Yeah. I, I think the, um, I think it's the crazy thing about just Costco in general, what's, what's happened to the, uh, the liquor sales, because the words out that a it's, it's the cheapest you're going to find in any state that you're going to live, that you're going to live. Uh, and B they, they get allocated items. So I'll never yeah, understand yeah. why they don't have a, a bunch of uh, barrel selections or anything like that going on because I, I know that they're running through a lot because that's the anomaly. That's the difference of a liquor barn and a total wine where they do have a lot of private selections and they're trying to really uh, put that as a differentiator. I was going to say, I didn't even know Costco had or they don't have private selections, right? Is that what you're saying? I, you don't see. I've it. never seen any or. I mean, so I, I will take that back. Uh, there was one that happened here. I think it was, or maybe it was another location, but they just had like a Knob Creek, you know, yeah. nothing, nothing crazy, but that's something that you, you typically don't see. 
And so I guess uh, another way to kind of look at this, you know, Matt F, he, he says in here, he says, why should you crap on the little stores? Um, you know, you still get a single barrel in at a store and it still drives business. But why why are you not going to help those smaller stores out? Uh, do you all have a kind of take on that? Well, could it be more about a supply and demand kind of thing to where they recognize that they got it? They have to give these stores, the, the larger stores, their picks, but they're running out of. Not necessarily they're running out, but they, you know, they they probably allocate barrels for their single barrel selection program, and maybe they know that the big stores they have to take care of. So they they the less store, the smaller stores have less to go off of. You know what I mean? Like you were saying earlier, how you don't get that many barrels to choose from. Ryan, what do you think that algorithm is <laughs> of figuring out what like what do you have to sell to make sure that you get access to buy something? That's way over my pay grade and, uh, <laughs> and my shareholder as Burn Pursuit uh, <laughs> podcast host. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it all makes sense as a businessman. I mean, you, I, I do this, too. I mean, I, you have those accounts that do everything for you. They're great customers. They pay on time. They they they're just easy to deal with. And I'm sure it's kind of like that with you know, your bigger stores and with your district, you know, distributors and your bigger stores, because it's, it's an easy relationship. It's an easy flow. And it's like, here's a reward for versus a smaller store. Yeah, it might be, but they might pay slow. They might do that. I don't know. I'm just thinking outside the box here, but it, you know, I, it's like the 80, 20 rule, uh, you know, 20% of your customers bring 80% of your revenue. And so maybe they really focus on those 20% and, uh, kind of are squeezing out that 80% right now just because they are in such a squeeze. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely see that as being a motivation factor. And, you know, you owning your own business, you, you kind of have a, a different take on this than I think a lot of other people will too, where, where you do, you, you follow the money trail. Um, and then you probably have people like me who are like, well, I want to want to have this personal connection with my small little local store. Um, you know, I, I know them. I know who's selecting the barrels. Uh, you know, when you you go to a, a a larger chain, you don't necessarily have that connection. Right? You're you're talking yeah. you're talking to hourly uh, hourly employees that are just sitting there stocking shelves. Like, you know, you, it's very rare that you actually know who picked that barrel and the store behind it. Yeah, I mean, I I think it's just the business landscape we're in in general uh it seems like more and more small entities are either being gobbled up by the bigger ones and it's just become more of and in this business in more than any other it's as we've seen with pursuit series it's an economies of scale like none other and so uh you know the the local store they might be you know great and have the but they might be you know, they're going to be picky. They're going to be a pain in the ass. And like, you know, well, we don't like these four barrels or where it's total wine. They're like, ah, just give us whatever, you know, it's like an easy transaction for them. And they're like, you know, it's like, ah, we like dealing with you all. Cause you're not paying the ass and you're not like bitching about us on the forums and you're not doing this. So it's like, you know, so I can totally see it from, it's all coming making sense to me because like with home lawns, you know, homeowners are great. And I love having the relationship but God, they're picky and like they will nitpick the shit out of you. Whereas our big commercial clients, you know, they're like, ah, as long as it looks good from the road, you know, and here's your money and here's everything, you know, easy peasy. So it's, I, that's the only way I can kind of relate to it maybe. Mm-hmm. 
And, and, you know, there's, there's other thing that, that Matt kind of put in the chat and he says, does it have to do with the, the representative that's in those States too? And, and we've seen this firsthand, at least on the podcast side, as we've been doing our own private barrel selections is that the rep actually plays a huge role in this. Like they, yeah, they are, sure. they, they are the one for you. you. Exactly. And that's exactly what happens. Uh, typically how this, this works is that depending on what region state of the of the nat- or of of the US that you own you're allocated x amount of barrels mm-hmm. and you get to choose where these go and so it's it's a um i don't know i mean i guess if if you've been a boss and then you've come to the end of the year and you're like okay you've got 28% of raises that you can go you can figure out who gets 2% who gets 6% who gets whatever and so that is that is one thing is that a lot of these stores they they continually have to be really good to their reps to make sure that they're always going to be on deck to be able to get one of these private barrel picks, because that is a, um, that is a real thing that is it's, it's all business and shaking hands at the end of the day too. I guess what else would tie into that uh, with the reps is also the restaurants increasingly increasing number of restaurants around DC have done uh, private selects that I've seen like even Blanton's and Buffalo trace and just for their, just for mixing drinks too. Well, I think, like I said earlier, with the restaurants and bars, you're you're putting your brand out there and exposing it to the public. And so like a high end restaurant like that, um, you know, diners are going to go for a high end experience and they're going to spend money on something like that. And it just helps expose the brand versus, you know, small store, small groups uh, doesn't really do that for you. It seems like the distributors, um, because that is their role which we don't really truly understand what the role is, but <laughs> <laughs> it's a, mo- it's a continually moving target. Yeah. So like, but it would make sense that the distributor would, you know, the distillers like, all right, these distributors get so many barrels and then the distributor decides who they go to um, based on, like you said, relationships or sales or ease of business, whatever. And uh, that's, I think that's how it is, but maybe not. I don't know. In the way it should be, probably. No, I'm totally with you. And another angle to look at this is just the the boom of the bourbon market and what it is. And you know, we we've talked about people getting pushed out, just having the big guys come in and kind of swallowing this sort of stuff up. And and we've kind of heard it before firsthand that like, oh, like the there's not enough barrels to go around. I, I kind of want to get you know, Michael, your take on this. Do you think that's a cop-out or do you really think that Four Roses, the, you know, the Russells, the everywhere, whatever the world's here are actually running out of barrels for this particular program? Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it uh, a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And you can get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, 
Transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for $1 per month trial period at shopify.com bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com bourbon. If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon, the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S.com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. You really think that Four Roses, the you know the Russells, the everywhere, whatever the world's here are actually running out of barrels for this particular program? I, I highly doubt that they're running out of barrels. Maybe for the program, maybe that is what they already said. Like they at the beginning of the year, they were like, "We're not going to go beyond this," and they didn't expect the increasing number of groups and like uh, getting with these retailers to buy more and more barrels and maybe it will adjust over time over the next couple of years. Maybe they'll realize that this is a, a big business opportunity for them. So they, it will increase. I know that will it, you know, paused a couple, was it a couple of years ago or uh, their private selection? So uh, have they picked that back up yet that you know of? Yeah. Last oh, yeah. year, the, the first, I guess, re-entry to the, oh, yeah. they're going well, strong with the, uh, with their own distillate now. So, yeah. Yeah. For sure. I think they did like 97 of them last year, which is still small compared to a lot of people. But uh, yeah, I don't think there's, I think that these brands are just so using all their resources to, I guess, uh, fund all their everyday brands that they're pumping out into the public is that, and to be honest, single barrels are probably a huge pain for them. They take a lot of resources. They're getting people you know, they have to have a coordinator. They got to take you to lunch. They got to spend four or five hours with you. Then they got to dump that one barrel and make sure all the stickers are on that bottle and make sure they got to keep track of that barrel. And it's like, like, uh, probably just like the hell with this. I mean, this is, you know, <laughs> it's actually bad business. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just, it was probably something they got into like, because nobody wanted anything. They're like, Oh, this would be great. We have all these extra barrels, you know, come pick your own, like, and but now they're probably like shit. Why do we ever come up with that? You know, <laughs> it's like we're shooting ourselves on foot. But uh, yeah, that's probably one way to look at it. It's it's probably a huge labor burden to them um, to make it happen, and mm-hmm. that's why they're probably not growing the amount of barrels that are allocated to or, or let lessening them than because they're growing their everyday brands and they just don't want to put the resources towards it. Yeah, there is there is a lot of resources I do mention that that really go into it. I mean, it, it kind of just reminds me of so there's a there's a farm around us that's uh, probably about a 30, 45 an hour away, whatever it is called Huber's. And it seems like people always want to go there and pick their own apples. And and I'm kind of like, why would you want to go pick your own <laughs> apples? That's it's a weird thing for me to think of. I was like, I can just go to go to our grocery store and find a really good honey crisp apple. And I think that that's probably like the flip side of what the everyday consumer sees versus what, what we see, because there's probably some like 
person that's really into apples and they want to go and choose their own apples and they it has a unique taste profile. Uh, but however, the the better side of the business is that well, let's just dump them all in a truck and push them out and and get them out in the grocery stores because it's a, it's just a better uh, way to look at it. Well, you know, if they only uh, if they only put uh, trailers of apples like two miles before you get to you know Huber's, they have like two they have trailers of apples and pumpkins that you can buy before you can for like a dollar two dollars less. If they only did that with barrels, you know, like. Before you get to the distillery, these are uh, a couple thousand dollars cheaper. <laughs> Discount barrels right here. <laughs> oh, man. That's that's actually hilarious the way you look at it like that. So yeah. uh, so, so we kind of talked about the market of, of how big guys are kind of getting and uh, squeezing the little people out of it. Um, we're looking at the business opportunity from the distillery side and trying to figure out, you know, what is the algorithm of who gets to – to get what. However, I kind of want to kind of switch the angles here a little bit because um, one of the things that we've seen is that a lot of this has become pretty prolific. Um, there's everybody that's trying to get into single barrels, whether it's stores out of uh, West Coast, Northeast, um, Southeast, wherever it is, everybody wants to come and do this because they they want some sort of differentiation or differentiation offering for their stores to be able to sell to their customers. Um, and so, Michael, I kind of want to take it to you is like, do you see this as where it is becoming a, a flooded market of of private selections that are out there? Do I think there are too many? I mean, how how much how different can the, the, I guess the question would be how different can like Whistlepig picks be? If, if I have five stores in D.C. area and I go to each one, each one has a Whistlepig pick because that is a bigger one then yeah, it does, it does get a little tiring. So that's why I like to look towards the, uh, I like, I'd like them to look towards the smaller ones. Like I loved going to Joseph Magnus and doing that pick because I mean, even though it is MGP, it is nice to have a little something different than the, um, you know, the bigger companies. And, and so I, I will refute that a little bit because I did a, I did a whistle pick barrel pick. <laughs> I had, I had five barrels. Uh -huh. um, we chose two of them. Uh, we chose two of them that had two different taste profiles. And I think that's just, I think that's the, the, the difference. And maybe, and, and maybe I guess I, when I, when I think about this, maybe that's what most people also don't recognize is that, yeah, they, they're not going to send out probably a bunch of barrels that they all taste the same. Like everything has these unique differences, these, these minute profile differences or anything like that. Um, so I've had the chance to be able to do it in Whistlepig, and I think there is some some variation. Um, I guess I was looking at it towards more of the uh, collection aspect as far as, you know, if you're collecting different bottles, I wouldn't want 20 Whistlepigs. It's, uh, so I guess that's where I was coming from. Yeah, that, that, sure. that totally makes sense because, yeah, you, you don't want to – I mean, it's, it's hard to spend 80 to $100 on every single one of those bottles. Like you've got you've to make sure – it goes back to the fundamentals of do you trust who's picking it? Do you know who's picking it? What's the story behind it? But, you know, Michael, I kind of want to put it to you in a different way. You know, you had mentioned that, you know, you have all these that that could be the same uh, and maybe maybe because they come from the same distillery. But what could a distillery be doing differently to be able to give these stores one advantage over the other when you say, well, I'm going to go to a different store. I'm going to choose different things. Do you think, you think it's on the stores to not try to choose the, another barrel from a, 
the same distillery and there should just be multiple variations or is it, is it something beyond that? I guess it can be, I I love the way that four roses has their, I guess their single barrel. uh, I forgot which different program it is, but the fact that they have recipes, it's nice to see. uh, I guess it's a, it's a telling thing for the consumer. Like this is going to be a different recipe, but otherwise you don't really know until you buy it and taste it. Cause I mean, it's not like you're going to go to a liquor store and they have a, a tasting tray for you to try theirs compared to the store down the street. If you have like, you know, two different whistle, whistle pigs. So I, you kind of like have to just go for it, I guess, if you were going to go do it that way. But, um, I mean, I, I kind of like the way the four roses has their recipe stuff on there. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have someone like makers, you know, where they allow you to blend your own unique profile, which yeah. I think is very, very awesome. But, you have to get 250 bottles out of it. Uh, and, and <laughs> There's spend, a downside. There is a downside. Spend, and spend eight hours with them to, to get to that point. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, I don't think it's on the still. I think it's on the store to pick the, you know, that that's what it's all about. You know, they got to, I mean, it, let me, they're not going and picking unique barrel. Like they're not saying like, well, let's pick three different ones and send them. They're like, nope. Here's the allocated ones. Here they go. Have at it. You know, they're going to try to make this as less complicated as possible. But, you know, uh, but I'm with you. I mean, the Four Roses and Makers are the most unique experiences. You know, we go to the Buffalo Trace and the Knob Creeks, and it's they're awesome. But, you know, there's very subtle differences in each barrel that you're tasting. And so it's it is hard to kind of distinguish that except that me and Kenny have superior palates to <laughs> anyone. No, I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. But, uh, yeah. And it, it's, yeah, it's tough. Cause there, there is a ton of them. And I guess the only way, you know, people are talking about stickers, that's one way to differentiate themselves. But then like, I wonder if these distilleries in the sticker game, it's like, all right, well, it's all about the stickers now and it's become less about our brand and it's more about the sticker game and it's kind of taken away from our brand. So like, and, and the stickers are cool, but they're starting to get a little <laughs> excessive as well. But uh, I don't know. I'm I'm just rambling. Sorry, no, it's okay. <laughs> you know, there is one thing I wanted to kind of mention that you had uh, Michael had said like, "Well, let's let's go put. Uh, I'll go buy a bottle from the uh, competitor down the street and I'll sample it in my store." I mean, that's that's the like craziest form of guerrilla marketing there probably could be. <laughs> just trying to take a dump on your competition there. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, Ryan does bring up a good point. I think we should we should talk about stickers because stickers are why would you even buy a barrel nowadays or buy a bottle if it doesn't have a sticker on it? That's that's the I mean, it's it's like fundamental at this point. So kind of, you know, Michael, kind of talk about, you know, your experiences with the stickers and if it actually has any sort of influence on your on your purchasing habit. I mean, I won't lie. I, I can't be a sucker for bottles, especially I have the the old Fitzgerald, uh, the canter bottle back there for, which is, you know, it's a, it's an okay. It's, it's okay. But there was $300 a sweet so. bottle. <laughs> yeah. It's a sweet bottle. Um, I, I mean, I enjoyed going, I went and did the Magnus pick for you guys and I enjoyed naming it and coming up with a name and whoever did the design on the stick. I, I didn't know who exactly who did that, but that was really cool as far as the, the Pentagon on it and with the department of bourbon. But so it, it's got a cool factor to it. Um, but I mean, do you think it's you think it's starting to get to the point where it's jumping the shark, or do you think we still got a we this is this is going to go strong still into uh, twenty twenty? 
I, it's, I think it's going to probably keep going strong. I think people like to have their, their little spin on it. Yeah. yeah I mean, not, go ahead, Ryan. Well, and I was going to say it is play out, but Michael made a good point. It is fun to come up with names. Cause that's what I do and on the <laughs> most of ours. I've tried to name, but not all of them, but uh, it, it is fun for the group to have their own unique name. And, and uh, cause otherwise it's just, you know, they used to be lame. Like you got a little tag on the Russell's bottle where you got like a little gold medallion. You're like, well, that's stupid. <laughs> like that doesn't differentiate us. So it, it is kind of cool. And I guess I, I just don't like when they take up the entire bottle, like, and they look all like goofy and like bright. And I don't know, like kind of take away from the bottle. That's when I don't like Let's them. Put but. more work on the distilleries and have them make a special bottle for every single barrel pick yes exactly <laughs> now you're talking my love language oh yeah just yeah keep keep doing these little custom things every single time yeah no i mean i'll kind of talk about the sticker thing a little bit because you know i i kind of i kind of look at what you all had said and i think it's i think it is fun i think it's it is it's a unique way to be able to give something a name and and ultimately when I, I look at it, I like to name stuff after or that, that kind of like puts some sort of sentiment into it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I don't name something because it just sounds cool. Um, you know, whether it has a Shawshank redemption sticker or whether it has a, um, a, a Hulkamania sticker on it or anything like that, because that, that doesn't necessarily mean anything. It just probably just sounds cool. Like it, it has to have some sort of backstory. Yeah. And that's, that's really what, what I love because when you when you're able to talk about it, when you're able to drink about and drink it again, you can look at that sticker and you can kind of reminisce on that day. And you can tell the story to people you share it with. You know, like this is why we came up with that name. This is what happened. You know, like case of the Mondays. It was a Monday, and like I was super hungover from a member guest, and I was like, I'm really having a case of the Mondays. You know, but I can tell people that. You know, it's like, yeah, it gives a sentiment. Yeah, I agree. Kenny. But do you think it's uh, giving more sentiment to us? For for people that have actually were there picking it than it does for the consumers that are getting it. Yeah, yeah I can see that. Point. Yeah, I could definitely see but, that. But don't you want to know why I was named that? Or maybe not. <laughs> I would. Well, I guess I want to know, like, if I'm buying something, like, I wasn't able to make the tasting room confessions pick from New Riff, but uh, they came up with the name and I was like, well, what, tell me about the name. Why did y'all come up with that? And, you know, and I wanted to know because I wasn't there. And so it was like, I got to experience it through them because of the name. I don't okay. know. Sounds kind of dorky. But. You like the lore of it. That's pretty. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. No, I mean, there, there definitely is two angles to it. I think there are, you know, there, there's some that, that definitely just speak to people because it's a cool sticker like it just to take another new riff, for example, like people are putting all the plays on the riff name. Like you've got, like I've got a bottle called Ken Riffy Jr. It's not like, like Ken Griffey had anything to do with it. It's not like the group were sitting there talking about baseball stats when it happened. They just thought of a funny name and, and put it on a sticker. Like that's all it is. Yeah. Like it doesn't actually have any sort of connotation to the day or memory or anything like that. Um, however, there's another slide of this when it comes to the marketing aspect, when it goes onto the Facebook forums, when people start learning about it, I mean, this is a real differentiator. Like, do you all see that? Like if it, if it wasn't for Goik smash on a four roses bottle, <laughs> like would, would that even be a thing that people elevate it to be in this 300, $350 private pick? 
And it's just another bottle of Four Roses. Or the Tipsy Buffalo, whatever. Exactly. I guess I mean, what, a good what do you think? If somebody comes over and, and is trying like a uh, Buffalo Trace, especially like the one, like your pick, I, I, and they point out the, that the fact that that sticker's on there, it's different than the other. And then I go into telling them how, oh, this group I'm part of that actually went and picked it. So, I mean, non-bourbon, you know, enthusiasts actually get a kick out of that kind of story. So. Yeah, and I, and I like sharing all the barrel picks. We Like, when people come over, that's the first thing I do is like, all right, guys, what barrel picks do you want to try? Because that's like, I don't know. I think that's cooler to share those than just like, oh, I'll try my Pappy 20 or whatever. Try my, <laughs> you know, whatever. No, I'll take the Pappy 20. Well, I know. And they're like, yeah, <laughs> that's what most sure. people want. They're yeah. like, I don't give, give a shit about your barrel picks. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> well, I don't no. know. As a, you know, as an enthusiast, it's fun for me to share with people. And I think they like, like it too, but I could be wrong. <laughs> Absolutely. And so I kind of want to close this out on a, on a, another note when we're talking about just, you know, private barrel picks and, you know, whether the market's saturated or not, is, is there a reason that anybody should slow down uh, with, with these when you're, when you're thinking about, uh, the companies or anything like that, because it seems like there is demand. Um, it's going to be happening. And I guess maybe not, I'll, I'll, I'll rephrase that. Maybe not slow down from a manufacturing uh, perspective. Um, should, should stores slow down in regards of, of, of what they should be able to offer? Because maybe they're trying to push other products just to sell, just so they have these opportunities and, and just to be able to sell a bottle. I don't know. Like, I think bourbon enthusiasts are just increasing in numbers daily. So I don't think we're at the peak right now. So I think there's still plenty of people to come into your liquor store and buy, you know, four bottles of fireball to go get drunk. And there's a guy that wants to come in and get as many private selects as he, as he can. What about you, Ryan? Yeah, no, I'm with you. I mean, I, I, I think they should keep doing them because I, I mean, they are fun and they they're, it's the only way to get a unique kind of experience and bottle than, you know, the, the limit release game has just gotten so out of control, like where it's just, it's always camping, it's emails, it's this, it's that. And it's even the store picks are kind of getting that way. And so that's, what's nice about what we're offering, you know, to our people. It's fun for us to do that and offer to our Patreon people, but being in a bourbon group too, like having access to this. So, I mean, I don't think they should slow down. I mean, the people are talking about new riff and, you know, compared to like bigger distilleries and what I, I think this sounds boring, but they, they should do a cost benefit analysis and maybe, you know, Russell's and all the big boys, it's really not beneficial to them to keep doing these. And uh, whereas someone like new riff or a newer guy, they're gaining a lot of exposure around it and it's really helped catapulting their brand and they should really embrace this. And it, it kind of reminds me of like when I went to Napa and like you go to like Cake Bread or Opus One and it's like, oh, these are these great distinguished brands and you go and it's like the lamest experience ever. But then you go to this like mom and pop winery where you meet the proprietor and you like and they're like, it's real intimate. And, and I think that's just how it's going to be with bourbon kind of as it keeps evolving is that you're going to have these big boys and then you have all these little small guys and they're going to have to offer unique experiences through private picks or coming to the distillery, hanging out with, you know, the, the distiller and creating that connection. Um, 
yeah, I, I think that they should keep on rolling with them as much as possible because I love them. All right. That's so I, lied. I lied. I have, I have one more question. <laughs> okay. Because, because I, I keep thinking about this and I, I, it reminds me of like a post I saw earlier and I see, I see things in the secondary market that are in just single barrel picks that are being sold for ex- extraordinary amounts. I kind of want to get your all's take, Michael, first. Like, are people dumb? Like, do 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 they need like a reality? Do they need a reality check to say like this is it's just another barrel pick? Like, that's all it is. It's not going to change your life. Yet, people are spending exorbitant amounts, maybe because it's a sticker, or maybe because it came from a particular group. Like, I want to kind of get your take. I wonder if these are the same people that are paying nine hundred dollars for a CYPB because it's uh, it is kind of <laughs> ridiculous. Um, yeah, I don't, I can't imagine ever buying, uh, a, pr- a private select on the secondary market myself. I mean, I have a hard time buying other bottles in the secondary market. I just kind of take my chances in DC. Yeah. 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 I'm with, so Bill Knowles says private picks play to the FOMO and FOMO is like bourbon is FOMO. It's like the perfect product for FOMO. It's, uh, you know, there's, and single barrels are even more of that because it's like, well, you only have this one barrel. There's never going to be another one like it. And this, whoever picked it, and it's like, uh, it's the perfect product for that. And people, they like rarity and scarcity. And like, if it's the more rare and scarce it is, the more irrational they're going to be about it. <laughs> you know, it's, we are all dumb in this game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we've we've all got our, like our bad habits. That this we, is like buy shit for buying shit. Like there, there's no rational reasoning behind this hobby or it. Cause the, I mean, we go, Kenny, you go on these picks and you go at, even like we do pursuit series. I mean, there's barrels of whiskey, like, uh, like just like you don't believe. I mean, there's so much whiskey out there and you're like, and it is just another barrel of whiskey, but there is that connection to it. There's that rarity about it. There's that specialness about it that people just go apeshit over. And it's it, it's just like anything, you know. It's like, can you like Porsches? And, you know, you really want a Porsche or a Mercedes. And it's like, well, why? The Volkswagen's made by the same people and it's the same shit, you know. But it's a Porsche, you know. It's got the branding and everything behind it. It's just, it's marketing at its finest, you know. It's uh that's that's what we deal with so that is the fun part about this because it it makes it unique right it makes it a it makes it a an experience that you're able to buy a bottle and have a connection to it have a story behind it you know the person uh or you know the group that 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 purchased it or, or that anything like that and so you you do have this connection behind that particular bottle and i think that is fun um I just think that we need to kind of like dial the height meter back, maybe, maybe 20 decibels um, in regards to this, because people just need to understand. And Ryan, you said it best, you know, we, we have the opportunity, anybody that goes and visits any distillery, anyone, and you look around, you look at all the warehouses, just understand it's just another barrel of whiskey. It's another bottle of whiskey. One. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's always going to be another one down the road. So don't you worry about that. But not yep. that one. <laughs> but not that one. See, that's what you get. That's that's what that's the hook. That's what keeps you hooked. But not into the pursuit it. series. Yeah. <laughs> you need all of those. Yes, absolutely. Yes. But that's that's kind of what keeps you hooked in. Is like you you're like, what if I miss out? It and is. is, and and the thing is, Kenny, we know that, and I know that, but it's still, I still can't get past it, and I don't care because it's the chase, it's the fun, it's you know, it's just 
part of the fun hobby we were enthralled with. Oh, I know. I'm totally with you. So let's go ahead. We'll end it on that note because I think we uh, we did enough insulting of 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 pretty much the whole industry at this point. So this was this was a really good conversation. So Michael, please. Uh, or I should I say, down myself. <laughs> we make fun of everybody, including ourselves. <laughs> yeah. But Michael, I want to say thank you for coming on and, and giving this uh, this this topic to talk about. It was it was really good, and I want you to kind of give a a plug if people want to get in contact with you or anything like that, if they can find you any kind of social, uh, how they can follow you there. Uh, I'm, I'm on Twitter. Uh, I don't, you know, not that funny, but, uh, M I K E G three, one, six, 1989. There we go. So <laughs> yeah, follow him there. Follow us on all the social media channels, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at bourbon pursuit, and always make sure that you leave iTunes reviews too, because, we love iTunes reviews and always share with a friend because that's what helps grow this show more. You know, Ryan, I'll kind of uh, hand it off over to you, buddy. Yeah. Reviews are great, but telling a friend's even better because you can share this wonderful experience and call them dumb too, you know, <laughs> <laughs> after they get engulfed with it. So uh, now, Michael, appreciate the time. Appreciate the show suggestion. That's what we love about the show is hearing from our fans and interacting with them. So if you have any things you want to talk about or hear about, uh, let us know. And uh, just we love hearing from you guys and we'll see you next time.